Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. Well, yeah, so it was funny that Patrick said good luck because what I was going to start with is just, I was just wondering, for how many of you is public speaking like a really big fear? Is any, is, yeah, there's a, there's a few of you. I think some of you are lying. Statistically, statistically, that's not true. So they've done a lot of surveys about this and it's a lot more than that. So, and, and, and I think you've probably heard those for, you know, there's a lot of people for whom public speaking is like, you know, arguably worse than death, right? So this is a, but that's okay. I won't call you out. Um, but you know, public speaking is uh, is can can be can be a difficult thing. And I, uh, I mean, I've been I've been doing it in some way, shape, or form for like almost three decades. And I get asked a lot, like, you know, do you, do you get nervous? Like, do you still get nervous when you have to be up in front of people? And I always tell people, yes, every single time. Every single time, I'm still at least a little bit nervous. You know, there's something in there. I don't know, it's just hard. And I don't, I don't know what it is, right? Like, uh, I think I, I have had some nightmares before about, you know, weird things that might happen while I'm speaking. Um, I think, like, uh, I think the, ma- the main weird one that I've had a couple of times is, like, I'll get up and I'll just try to start talking and like gibberish just comes out, you know? And like, it just, like, I don't even understand what's happening. It's just, you know, so I've had that a couple of times. But, um, but in, our, you know, in our story, in our passage of scripture this morning, something happens at the end, which, uh, which like to me would be horrific. And, I, and I, I would think that maybe for you, if you were putting yourself in this situation, you might think the same thing, okay? And so I'm gonna start at the end of our passage. Uh, you'll recall, hopefully, hopefully for most of you, we were in John 6 last week. And this is kind of a continuation of that in, uh, in our series here, okay? So, so watch this, right? This is, happens in John 6. We're just going to get right into it. And, in, oh, and it's doing something. All right, there we go. Um, it says, on hearing it, okay, so, so envision this. We're, 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 in this. we're in this room, and this whole big crowd of people uh, is hearing Jesus talk. It says, on hearing it, many of his disciples, meaning the people who were listening to him at the time, said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? And then a few verses later, it says, from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him, okay? So I think if, you, if we can imagine the scene a little bit, um, this is in the, the synagogue in Capernaum, okay? And so last week, last week I asked uh, what was significant about Capernaum, and nobody knew the answer. So I'm going to ask again. What is what's significant about Capernaum? Jesus was born in Nazareth, but Capernaum was his, yeah, his home. He made his home in Capernaum, so people knew to find him there. And so he's in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is like, he's not like a, like a guest speaker in this case, right? Like, this is like his home turf. And so he's in the synagogue. We don't know exactly how big the synagogue was, but um, it's, I don't know, from some of the archaeological and historical findings, it's probably safe to assume it's, it's like a room maybe about twice the size, okay? Something like that. And it's packed to the gills, right? The, the, the place is going to be totally packed because people have been walking around following Jesus this whole time. And so Jesus has this whole interchange that we started last week. We're going to go through the rest of it this week. Um, but we see at, towards the end here, this is like, this is kind of like the murder mystery template here, right? Like we're going to start at the end. We're going to look at the damage that was done, right? What happens at the end here is that 
people walk out the door, right? And I kind of imagine, the Bible doesn't say this, but I kind of imagine it as like, you know, maybe there's like a few people, you know, there was, it says there were some Jewish leaders who had come up and that they, you know, they were, they were there just to cause trouble, right? So I imagine they're probably the first ones out the door, like these really well, well-dressed elite people, like they stand up and they're like, oh, this is terrible, you know? And they start walking out the door. And maybe some of the people who kind of are more attached to them, they get up and they start to leave. And then pretty soon it's like, like the crowd is like, oh, I guess this is what we're doing, right? <laughs> and they're like, they're going, they're going out the back door. And uh, yeah, I, and so I don't know. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's a possibility for me this morning. And uh, maybe that's what Patrick meant by good luck. So hopefully, hopefully that doesn't happen. If you, if you are angry with anything I say, Maybe just wait till the end to leave. I don't know. It won't be that long. But, um, but this happens to him, right? And so I start at the end there because it forces this question that I think is going to set up our time this morning, which is, which is this. Why would followers of Jesus walk away from him? Why would followers of Jesus walk away from him? I mean, this, this crowd that he was talking here, you know, we're in our context for, uh, for John 6 here, we went over this last week, so I won't, I won't belabor it, but the context for John 6 is he's, Jesus has been doing all these miracles uh, in the region of Galilee. He's been going around, and he's just fed the 5,000. I mean, he's got all these people who are interested in him. They're following him around. The Bible uses the term disciple kind of in a, in a more general sense. Um, it's not the 12. We'll talk about them later. Um, but, but there are people who, like, actually are kind of following Jesus, and they're in this synagogue in Capernaum, they're listening to what he says, and they all leave, right? From this time forward, many people left, is what I said. Why would that happen? Um, so last week, okay, we started in on the first part, and we, we went through, this is sort of the end of what we went through last week, and it was about eight verses um, we're going to go through about 40 verses today, okay? Is that, is that all right? So it's not, I know you're doing the math. It's not going to be five times as long. Don't worry, teaching. So it'll probably only be twice as long. It's okay. We'll, we'll figure it out. Um, but we're, we're, this is at the very end here. Uh, Jesus is talking to them, or sorry, the end of last week, I should say. And he says this, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. And so then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Okay? So right now, uh, early on in our discourse here, things are, things are still friendly. Okay? We're having a, having a little chat. Jesus is talking to the people, and they're asking him this, this question. They've been kind of just like probing him a little bit. And Jesus is giving them this response that, that we talked about last week. But this is, this is really a claim, right? And so, so Jesus is going to make several claims during this discourse. And the first one here from last week is just simply this, that the work is to believe. And, and what we talked about last week was how that was like a paradigm shift for them. Um, that the work that they were looking for when they're asking this question, what must we do to do the works of God, it wasn't what Jesus meant. And, and what we talked about last week was that it takes effort, it takes effort 
to yield to Jesus, that what Jesus was looking for here, what Jesus is telling them, is that what we are to do is not what the people uh, in the crowd were thinking, you know, a whole bunch of good works or a whole bunch of holy, holy acts, religious acts, um, but rather to turn our hearts over to him to believe, to be able to yield, to entrust him. And that was a paradigm shift, right? That was, that was not what they were expecting to hear. And so that was the first claim, okay? So that's, that one's easy. We'll move on. So then we keep going here. So it says in verse 30, So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is the bread that comes down from heaven um, and gives life to the world. Okay, so a couple of things from here. Um, So first of all, their response to Jesus saying the work is to believe is like basically, okay, well, show us why, right? Show us why. What sign will you give us that we may see it and we believe? Now, we just said that Jesus had been walking around, going around, doing a whole bunch of healings, right? You can read it for yourself at the beginning of John or the beginning of any of the Gospels. Jesus is doing lots of signs. I mean, he is, he is like doing miracles left and right. And with a lot of the people who are in this crowd here, they've literally just seen him feed 5,000 people, right, out of a couple of loaves and fish. They've literally just... Uh, seen that, right? So, so what is it that they're asking? What sign will it give you? Like, it's like, well, they've already seen a lot of things, but they're still asking, what signs will you give us? And I think, you know, I think when you look at this, is our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, right? So this is a reference back to um, Moses, right? This is a reference back to Exodus, Exodus 16 in particular, when, um, if, you, if you might recall, that the Israelites are out wandering around in the wilderness and they're complaining. It's actually, I think they were, it's pretty early. It's like a few days out of Egypt, and they're walking around in the wilderness, and they start getting hungry, and they start saying things like, you know, Moses, why did you lead us out into the wilderness? Uh, We wish we were enslaved back in Egypt, because back then we were eating around pots of meat, and life was so amazing when we were enslaved under Egypt. It was so great, and and why did you bring us out here to starve, right, basically, is what uh, the people were saying. And God in his amazing graciousness, sent manna from heaven, right? Literally, they would wake up in the morning, and there'd be this, at first it was really weird for them, it was this like stuff on the ground that they would gather up and they could make bread out of. It was something they'd never seen before. And they would gather this bread up, and the amazing thing about that was that it continued to go every single day. Six days a week, they would get the manna, and then on the seventh day, the Lord had instructed them, as Sabbath, you don't go and do work, right? And so on the sixth day, they were supposed to gather twice as much, and then they would uh, have enough for the seventh day so that they didn't have to work. And, and one of the big things about that, and we'll touch on it again, is that they were only supposed to gather exactly what they needed for that day, exactly what they were supposed to get for that day. And if they gathered more, it would go rotten, it'd be terrible, but they had exactly what they needed for that day, okay? So that's the manna, the manna in the wilderness. And, and this, is, this thing that happened, even though if you read, if you read in Exodus, and, and Numbers also covers it a little bit, it's like 
there is, uh, there is a lot of grumbling that happens with the, with the Israelites during this time. Uh, but in the consciousness of the Jews at this time, like they remember back, like this is a really big deal. Like this is, this is a huge part of the consciousness of the Jewish people. Is that, um, good job, Lainey. She's coming in. Um, is that there is uh, this thing that God did, this huge miracle that was every day, right? So in some sense, what they're asking about here, there's a little bit of a hey, you know, Jesus, you just fed 5,000 people once, okay? But Moses, Moses, uh, we had manna from heaven for, I don't know, we, it's arguable how many people, but it's like hundreds of thousands of people, certainly, in the wilderness every day for 40 years, right? So, you know, Jesus, your miracle here, 5,000 people, loaves and fish, I mean, that was, and that was like once, that was like yesterday, really. Like, that was kind of a while ago, you know? I mean, I didn't see the loaves and fishes today, you know, and Moses, he did, right? So there's a little bit of this, like, comparison act that's going on. You know, you, God did these things for these other people, and why did he, why, why is he not doing as much for me, right? You guys ever felt like that? <laughs> um, and it's not, you know, again, it's not, it's not that he didn't do anything. He's, he had just done a lot of things. But it's an, easy, it's an easy comparison thing to ask, isn't it? It's like looking, looking around, seeing that maybe God has done some things for other people that you can see, and wondering, it's just, I think it's natural, why, why didn't he do that? Why didn't he do that for me, you know? Um, I, uh, so we, we were just at a wedding yesterday, right? And so I don't, I don't want to speak for... Uh, all the single people here, but um, so, I, so, I, so I won't, okay, but I think it's fair to say that when you are single, or at least for me, right, it can be a mixed bag to be at a wedding, right, because, and, and, and certainly everybody was single at some point, or is, that, is that true? You didn't like, you know, you didn't just like have significant others right off the bat, I don't know, I don't know, so the right side of you guys were, that was a long time, so some of you actually really don't know what it's like, but... Um, <laughs> But for most people, you know, you can remember, it's like, so, so weddings can be, a little, can be a little strange, right? It can be a little bit of a mixed bag when you're single because you're like, okay, there's all these, you know, happy couple, that's great. And then it's like, I don't know, weddings, people are just like more lovey, you know? Like when you just look around, all the couples there, it's just something in the air, you know? It just makes you a little bit more affectionate or something, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about. So, you know, so it's a little bit of a mixed bag for, for, I think, sometimes for some of us who are single. And it's like, I don't know. And it's easy. It's easy. I, I think I found myself even yesterday, if, I was, if I'm being honest. It's like, huh. It's like, why, you know, what happened? Why, I, so I'm, if you don't know me, I'm, I'm divorced. And I was like, it's, it's easy for me to think, well, why, why did that happen? You know, God, you've, you've sustained the marriages of these other people. Why, why, did that, why didn't that happen for me, right? You know, I have all these other, there's all these other amazing things in my life. God has shown himself, you know, through all, all, all sorts of ways, right? But it's still just not, it's just kind of easy to think that. So, I don't know. I think there's a little bit of that in what the, the crowd is talking about, right? There's certainly, certainly a little bit of the, uh, and I already said it, but the what have you done for me lately, right? That was yesterday. 
But today, oh, I'm hung we're already hungry, right? Yesterday we ate and we were real full, but that doesn't last forever, you know? We, we, need, our, we need our loaves and fishes today, and, and we haven't been fed yet. So, so what, sign, what sign will you give us today, right? I think it's fair to say it like that. And Jesus, once again, gives them a response that they are not expecting. We talked about that last week a little bit, right? When you talk to Jesus, he will tell you things that you are not expecting. That's a, usually a really good sign that it's him. So he says to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. So <laughs> that's a good clarification too. You guys think it was Moses, but let's remember it was God. Okay, And that's real clear if you go back and read the story. Um, Moses is a mess. So, uh, but it was God, it was my Father, who gives you the true bread from heaven. Uh, from the bread, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's like, that's like a tongue twister. I can't do that very well. And he goes on to say, or they go on to say, Sir, always give us this bread. And, you know, that's an interesting one, too. That's, a, that's a, kind of still a positive response. You can see they're like, they're like tracking. They're like, okay, he's saying something interesting. And they respond to him, okay, fine, this bread from heaven, yeah, let's, let's see it. We, we want that. And this actually kind of reminds me a little bit, if you go a couple chapters earlier in John 4, and David is, David's actually here today, so he can, he can nod approvingly at my reference. Uh, in John 4, what happens with the woman at the well? There's, a, there's the interaction with Jesus. And when Jesus starts to talk about the, uh, the living water, you know, that, that you can draw from this well, you'll never thirst anymore, you remember what, he, what she responds with? She says, you know, sir, give me this drink, right? So, so Jesus is, is saying something that's intriguing, and these people are like, okay, yeah, let, I, I want that. That sounds like something I want. And so, you know, in the case of the woman of the well, she actually responds in a really positive way. Um, these guys, something else happens. So Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Okay? So real simply, a second claim here. I am the bread of life. So they're asking, give us this bread. He says, well, it's me. It's me. Not what they were expecting, definitely. So so there might be some confusion here, I guess. You know, that's possible. Um, but I think really, when we think back on that Exodus story, and, and even the way, if you, if you look through the Old Testament, you know, it's referred to uh, either directly or indirectly all throughout the Old Testament. Um, there's uh, references in Psalm. I think I'm at it. Yeah, I put it. Psalm 78 is like a, a good place that kind of recaps this entire Old Testament history. In, in Isaiah, there's real strong references to this about how, um, how we can be fed. And, and, and actually, in Isaiah, there, there's even a really strong parallel to the verses we just read about, uh, about how, you know, why are you working for food that perishes, right? And try to point the way towards this everlasting food. And, and so, like, in their minds, in the Jewish minds, like, this isn't really like a huge foreign concept uh, when, when we're talking about the bread. It's, it's a little, maybe a little weird for us. Um, but really what it's getting at is a couple things. One is like scarcity, right? So you, you and I, it's a little hard for us to relate to this because we live in a culture that is never hungry, right? Our goal in life is to eat less, 
That's, that's what we're supposed to be trying to do, okay? We, we need to eat less, but it's, it's difficult because there's food all over the place, and everywhere you go, it's, there's just more food. And, um, and so, so it's hard for us to relate to this idea that there's this scarcity of, of uh, food, at least. And, um, and what it also is representing in this bread concept is there's like, there's like religious implications, right? There, there's a tie between the bread and God, a real strong one that's in their minds. And so I think, I don't know, it's hard for me to come up with a way to relate this uh, very well to our day, but I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it is for you. I think part of the problem is there's, you know, people are in different places, but, but it's really about, like, if you think about something that you need, that you have to have, okay? Um, and so somebody was saying, it's like, this is like your smartphone. It's like, <laughs> you're, you're addicted to your smartphone, that's true, but... You, you could actually, like, live without it. That is possible, right? Like, if, you, if you, it fell in a lake and they couldn't get you another one for three days or something, like, you would, you would actually continue to live, I think. Um, so it's not like that, but it is, it is it's something that you, that you really do truly need to live, um, but has some scarcity behind it, right? And again, I don't know, I don't know, it's, I don't know exactly what to relate that to, but that's what Jesus is getting at here when we're talking about bread, Okay? And Jesus says, it's not the external bread that you need. It's not this thing that you're thinking of that, that you need to survive from a bodily standpoint, right? From an external standpoint. He says, I am the bread of life. Okay? So he's pointing at a need that isn't just their physical need. We talked about this a little bit last week too, right? It's He's trying to continually point them to, it's not just about the outside stuff. It's not just about the external things. It's really about what's going on on the inside. And you have a need. There's a scarcity and something that you need very much so that I am the answer to. Okay? Does that make sense? So, so he is, he's, again, just, just kind of rearranging how they're thinking about things. And he's making this claim, I am the bread of life. Okay, let's keep going. At this time there, the Jews uh, began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? And stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. And a few verses later, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. And he says it again, I am the bread of life. Okay? So I am, I am skipping some verses for your sake. Okay? Uh, there, are a couple, there are a couple other subtexts in this passage uh, that are really important and that just aren't our focus today. So I'm kind of just skipping over them. Um, but the idea here that I'm pulling out is just that they're now starting to, they're getting this now a little bit. Okay? They're getting it on a couple fronts that, hey, there's a need that you have that you've not really identified, and Jesus is speaking to that. And they're starting to really get upset that Jesus is making claims about himself, um, claims about himself that are basically, I am God, right? Or I am God's son, right? I mean, there's a lot of different ways that they're listening to it and they're hearing it, but like here again, he's in their, his own hometown. Hi. You, you came from heaven, right? You didn't come from heaven. <laughs> like, we know your mom and dad. What are you talking about? You came from heaven. Um, 
and so this causes grumbling. This causes disconcerting. They're, they're, they're starting to chatter. And you can start to feel the atmosphere in the room is changing, right? It's starting to be like a little less curious, a little bit more skeptical, a little bit more like, I don't know about this. I don't know what's going on right now, but I'm starting to get really uncomfortable with what's being said. And Jesus, <laughs> this is what, another good sign of what Jesus does when you talk to him, okay? And this is, look, one of the things that, that is, is going on in our church a lot uh, these days, if you're around, is like, I think God is really trying to teach us how to hear his voice, okay? And so, so I just, you know, I keep seeing things like this as we're going through texts and passages or just go through life. It's like just little examples of what does it look like when Jesus is talking to you? And, and one of the things that it looks like is, you know, Jesus hears this grumbling and he doesn't, he doesn't say, oh man, I, I can see you guys are starting to get a little uncomfortable. Let me back off a little bit. Let me try to make this a little bit uh, more palatable. You know, let me... I don't know, let me, maybe, maybe I wasn't saying that quite right, or maybe, maybe uh, I wasn't saying the right thing at all. I don't know. I, maybe I'm wrong, right? Jesus never says that, ever, because he's not. What Jesus does is he doubles down. He goes further, okay? So he says this, Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. Oh, okay. So... Here's this, you know, really, really kind of almost a sacred cow, right? They remember this manna thing, like this is such a huge deal in their history. And Jesus is like, yeah, that happened, but that was not enough. All those people are dead. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread, and this is where it gets real hard, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And so then it says that the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves. There's, there's various translations on this, but this is my favorite. To argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Right? And, okay, this is... Not really the question, right? I think that may be obvious. Okay. I don't think nobody is actually thinking like he's going to, you know, give him his arm to chew on. That is not what's happening. Okay. They're, they're reacting, right? They're, they're triggered at this point. They are reacting and they're arguing sharply. It's stirring things up in them for sure. And like this question here, in some ways, it's really like a dishonest question, right? And it's, it's kind of like a, I don't know. I mean, have you, ever, have you ever been in a conversation with someone where they're like purposely misunderstanding what you're saying? <laughs> um, that's like, what's, that's what this is. There's a lot of giggling going on. <laughs> a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of spouses looking at each other. Mm, yeah. Uh, this, this is kind of what's happening, right? They are, they are uncomfortable, and so they are sort of purposely misunderstanding what he said. They're recasting it as a question that really they know he's not saying. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And they are getting really uncomfortable because, well, let's go on here. Because Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Okay. So, you know, I know Halloween is coming up. So, <laughs> maybe it sounds to you more like something out of a vampire movie or something like that, right? Um, again, it's hard for us to relate to this uh, and, and to really understand what Jesus is saying. Um, but it's pretty clear to the Jews, really. And the reason it's clear to the Jews is because they have lived under the system for uh, many hundreds of years, uh, really thousands, I guess, is that they have a sacrificial system, okay? And so what they understand about their relationship with God is that they're sinners, right? They're, they're, they, they do things that are wrong, and that their atonement, the way they pay for that sin to make themselves right before God, is to bring a sacrifice. And that sacrifice is in the form of an animal, right? Some kind of animal. They bring it to the temple, and then the sacrifice happens. The animal's killed. The animal's burned. And one of the things they do is they drain the blood from the animal, and the blood is then actually used for purification, okay? And so, uh, and, and sort of, I guess, the difference between atonement and purification, there's, there's the idea that, that you're needing to make things right between you personally and God, but also there's this sort of spillover effect when it comes to sin. You know, when it comes to, to, to our own evil acts, the things that we do that are wrong, there's like a spillover effect into the rest of the world, into the rest of society, into the rest of the community, and that that needs purification as well. And so the blood is, is doing that, okay? And the thing about the blood is that really, I think part of the reason why God said it was like, like the blood is like really repulsive. It's really, really repulsive. And, and the idea, like when he's saying here to drink the blood, like we think that's gross, right? Like you're, you're you know, you're probably like, yeah, that's, kind of, that's, that's gross, but I don't want to do that. But for them, it was way, way worse than that. I mean, it was like viscerally, it was um, on a much deeper level offensive, right? And they had a really, really hard time with that. And here Jesus is, again, he's not backing off of the spread of life thing. He's not adjusting what he's saying about himself. He's not adjusting what he's saying about them. He is doubling down. He's going further in to what he's saying, what he's claiming. And he makes this claim that everlasting life, and I, really I should have said everlasting life only, right, because that's what Jesus says, only comes from eating my flesh and drinking my blood. That is the only place it comes from. And, and this is rough. This is rough for them because they have been under the sacrificial system where they are the ones that bring the sacrifice. This whole idea of flesh and blood, what it, it hearkens to this idea of sacrifice that they know well. They really, they've, they've lived in it. They know this thing of sacrifice well. And Jesus is alluding to what is going to happen in the future, that he is going to become the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. And it is not a sacrifice that they will have brought. It's a sacrifice that Jesus will have offered himself. And this is, this is going to be a problem. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of end here just with, with three things um, that the people can accept. And we'll get back to this concept here at the end here. Uh, 
Um, it says, on hearing it, many of the disciples says, this is a hard saying, who can accept it? We read that before. And Jesus says again, does this offend you? And he does, we won't get into this, we don't have time, but he says, what will you see if the Son of Man ascends to where he was before? Again, this is even tripling down, right? This is going even further. And then they all walk out. That's why they walk out. The people could not accept three things. Number one, the type of work. We talked about this last week. They could not accept the fact that it's not about earning God's favor, about earning God's blessing, about earning God's love. You're already fully loved. You can't earn it. It's about entrusting him. They couldn't accept that. Second thing is they could not accept the mechanism. What what do I mean by that? That eternal life doesn't come, and the life that they're looking for, it doesn't come uh, by force, right? The mechanism by which it comes doesn't come by force, but by sacrifice. This is like super not what they were looking for, (laughs) Because we know from looking, at the, uh, from looking at the context that what the Jews were, were really, really hoping for from the Messiah, from someone who uh, would be like Jesus, would come in and they would return political power to them. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for power. They felt powerless. They were looking for power in an external way to come back to them as a people so they could feel, you know, I don't know, they could feel pride, they could feel like they controlled their own destiny, they could be out from under the thumb of this oppressive system that they were in. They were looking for power, and they, they thought that that would come from force. And Jesus is coming in here. He says, no, the mechanism by which life comes is not force, but sacrifice. And worse yet, it's not even a sacrifice that you bring, it's the sacrifice that I am. That's, that was a hard thing, the mechanism. And the last thing is this. They couldn't accept where this was all heading, okay? And I'm calling this the destination. I don't know. That's not the, I don't know if that's the best word. But they couldn't accept where this was all going in the end, okay? I put it on there, not accumulation, but fulfillment, okay? Now, fulfillment, I think when, I, when we say that, that sounds good, okay? It sounds like what you want. But I think really what a lot of us are after, and I think what the Jews are after, is actually accumulation. And what I mean by that is, uh, well, Jesus tells a parable that illustrates it well, right? He says that uh, a man uh, one time had had a great year, had a bumper crop, and he stores up all this stuff for himself, right? He builds grain silos so they can store up all this stuff for himself. Why? So that he could then just enjoy it for a long time. Accumulation, right? So, so what they're looking for is the security that comes from being able to just aggregate the blessings of God. But what happens after that, after you aggregate all those blessings, is that then you just live off of that. You just live off of the stuff that you've already accumulated, and you just live off of it. And what are you not doing? Well, you're not going back to God. And that's a problem for Jesus. Jesus is, is saying, no, that's not how it's going to be. It's not about accumulation. Where we're heading on this is what I'm calling fulfillment. It's this idea that actually, no, you don't get to accumulate things, but whenever it is that you look to Jesus, whenever you look to, he's saying, whenever you look to me, okay, whenever you eat my flesh and drink my blood, whenever you entrust me, there will always be enough there. You will always be 
filled. Okay? But you have to do that. <laughs> you have to do that. You don't get to just accumulate things and accumulate blessing or even just like, you know, I think, I think uh, you know, we're here in the vineyard. We, we love to experience God's power and God's presence. And, and a lot of us have some really great experiences from the past. And those things are great. They really are. And they help us. And the more we, great, more we can reflect on those and see what God did in them, the better, right? But we aren't fulfilled by those things. Does that make sense? We don't get to just accumulate the things that happened before and live off of them, like coast off of them. We need, we need more of Jesus all the time, okay? Not for salvation. Jesus is real clear about that. You know, once you've said yes to Jesus, once you entrust him, you're good. It's not, about, it's not about salvation, but about sustenance, right? You need fulfillment from Jesus. And so the way on, it's our series, the way in is the way on. The way on is always more of Jesus. It's always more of Jesus. And, and I'm, and I'm going to say this specifically to set up the rest of our series here, Okay. Because in the rest of our series, we're going to be talking about following Jesus into fill-in-the-blank, different, different, really different things that are happening that you notice in your life, okay? And we're going to be really careful, we're going to try to be really careful, actually, not to put the emphasis on the fill-in-the-blank part, <laughs> like that Jesus is here to fix, you know, next week David's going to be talking about anxiousness, Okay? And we're going to be really careful not to focus on the fact that Jesus could fix your anxiousness. We're going to be focusing on the fact that Je- what Jesus really wants, the way in, is the way on. The way on is really more of him. It's not about, it's not, I mean, he, he will fix a lot of things, and he does. He, he, I mean, God, he's amazing at that. A lot of times he fixes stuff that you're not even asking for, though, right? And maybe he leaves the stuff that you were asking for the way it was. That's not the point. The way on is always more of Jesus, okay? And that's what we want to keep focusing on. That's what we're going to be doing, okay? So here's our, oh, yes. Our destination is everlasting fulfillment. That's what I called this message. Um, it's not quite over. Sorry, I got to go fast through this. What happens after that? And this is also in Good Murder Mysteries, right? You start with the murder but then there's always something that happens after that, right? So this is, this, is, this is what we got. At the end of John 6, Jesus says, you, speaking to the 12, right? Everybody, pretty much everyone else is gone. Maybe there's a smattering of people. He says to them, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else are we going to go? Like, what separates the people who walked away from Jesus and these guys? What is the thing that separates people who walk away from Jesus, who were following, who were interested, who were intrigued, who loved seeing, you know, the tangible things, the external elements that Jesus brought? What separated them from the 12 who still followed? It's this, right? Where else are we going to go? They'd come to a point of understanding that Jesus, more of Jesus was all they could 
all they, all they wanted and the only thing that even existed, right? Like, what else is there? And so, uh, if the worship team can come on up, here's, here's my invitation, okay? Here's the way in, is to reflect on this question, okay? And this is, and when I say reflect, you know, this is like a range. You could just do this for like a few moments in your seats here as we're worshiping. Um, you could take this home with you, maybe spend some time on it with Jesus. I would encourage that. Um, and one of the ways that we reflect, too, is just by having conversations with each other about it, too, right? I mean, a really, really good practice when God is stirring things in you or you have things is to actually talk about it with other people, right? There's other people in this room right now who you could be telling about how you would reflect on this. And here's, here's this question. What do you think about the way on being more of Jesus? Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? Um, and I, I, want you to, I want you to be able to ask that, like, without a preconceived notion. Because, as we talked about earlier in the series, geez, God already loves you fully. You can be honest. You really can. And there are going to be ways that this is true and ways that maybe it's not. And that's okay. There really is. The important part is to ask, right? It's to be able to come into his presence. Um, it's to believe enough to say, hey, Jesus, I want, to, I want to bring this to you. I'm willing to genuinely and honestly bring these questions before you. That's where it starts. And really, that's, that's the thing that's most important. And so ask that. Is Jesus enough? All right, this is just a verse for us that, um, that guides us a lot. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, right? You knew this at one point. At one point, if you're really a follower of Jesus, you knew that Jesus was enough, that that's all that you needed. So let's just return back to that, okay?